are listening to the Project Weight Loss Podcast, where your best life is just one project away. And now, your host and life coach, Fina Perez. Hello, everyone. Hope you're great. I'm sending you all the best thinking about you. And I want to say a special shout out to all the great folks that have given me reviews on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else. I so appreciate you very, very much. Thank you for the beautiful reviews. It fills my cup to read them, giving me more motivation to keep on keeping on. <laughs> ah, So today we will be talking all things money and wealth. Great stuff and a lot of it too. <laughs> but before we get deep into the topic, I want to share that I went to our annual Friendsgiving event this week weekend, and it was fantastic. And thank you to my longtime friend, Maria, the best host in the world. Well, I think she's the best. And a lot of our friends say that she is the best. So it must be true. <laughs> And, you know, I planned my food, of course. I had a large plate of veggies, hummus, and some protein. And I had a large plate of fruit. No sugar or flour. And you know what? I didn't miss it. I didn't miss a beat. And the thought that drove me this weekend was that food is there to help give me energy that I need. And I, let me tell you, <laughs> I had a lot of energy this weekend. And you know what else? Overeating to me is a very poor substitute for the enjoyment that we can have when we're having fun and in our people's company. In any case, what I focused on during the get together was number one, having fun and number two, connecting. I love to see my friends' beautiful faces. And I have to say, some of them were looking pretty darn good with their Project 66 looks and mindsets. Woo, woo. They looked amazing. And the other thing I want to share is that I love the holidays. And right after Thanksgiving, I can listen to my holiday music. It's a tradition for me. I love the fireplace crackling and going some holiday music in the background while I write my holiday cards. All right. Don't judge. <laughs> I love that stuff. It makes me feel like a little kid. And you know what? I challenge you to focus on having fun this holiday season. Permission to be a kid again. <laughs> Go out and play some tag football or soccer. Yeah, it's cold. I know. I get you. But hey, we can get out there. And if not, hang out with your friends. And yes, laugh out loud. Have a good belly laugh. <laughs> and you know, I wanted to start here because... To me, money is such a serious topic, right? And so for so many of us, it's so serious. And yes, kind of a bit boring and intellectual in some sense, but it doesn't have to be. You know, we can have fun with it. We can see the value in it and we can really take a look at our mindset around money. And that's kind of what I want to do today. I want to really dissect money a little bit. This isn't going to be the only podcast we are going to have around money. So we will be talking more about it, but we're going to do a deep dive today. And so ho hopefully you can get some nice nuggets of information for you and to use it as you will, as you'd like. You see, I think that the way that I see money is that it's an incredible, valuable resource, a valuable asset. So let's talk about resources for a minute. What do you think is our most valuable resource? What is it to you? Well, to me, our number one resource is us. It's the H factor, the human factor. And this includes our mind, our heart, and our vital organs, us. And the number two top asset is our time. 
And guess what? Having lots of money can buy you services that can free up some of your time for creation, for innovation time, and can help someone in the process by hiring those services. And the other valuable resource is our financial wealth, our financial wellness. And to me, money is a resource and a tool. And you know, quick thought, I love the idea of having our money in a nice, clean wallet, a put together wallet. (laughs) So how's your wallet? How are you treating your money? Anyway, just a quick thought. So I wanted to share that and ask you, we can earn money and we can create it. How you may ask? Well, you see, to me, money is a mental construct. And when I go to this mental construct, I start from the place of abundance, of gratitude. I see money as abundant, as fun, as in I can have money and yes, I can give money. But you see, we and me, sometimes we see money as a stressor. It becomes a potential risk because we create it as a risk in our minds and in our actions. And all of it is because of how we feel about it. If we see it as the root of all evil, well, guess what? We're pushing it away. We are running from it mentally. If we use it to have arguments with our loved ones, well, not only does it not improve our relationships, but as we know, it is a primary reason for conflict, right? Because we use it as such. And you see divorces being so high. And many folks will share that the reason they divorced to some extent were because of money issues, money stressors. And these stressors also have the potential to propel us to go to the food, (laughs) affecting our project weight loss. So, you know, let's really think about how we consider money, how we consider wealth. So today, I want us to expand our risk assessment and the monitoring of our project weight loss in a very important area of our lives. And I love this topic and love the fact that we're going to add to our resource and tools list for our project weight loss with these concepts of wealth. In project planning, we ensure we utilize our resources fully and effectively. This is a key. And you know, I love the mindset that money can be abundant in our lives, that money can be easy. And you know, we can, if, if that is a stretch, <laughs> that money can be easy. If that's a stretch for you, that's okay. You know, another thought is money is neutral, right? And it really is to some extent, money is neutral. It's us that we put the value to money one way or the other. But to see it as neutral, it's a really good starting place. It's a neutral place where we can add value to it as we see it. So let's start here. Can money be fun? Can I think the thought, I can have money and yes, I can give money. And that's a question for you. Do you love money or do you love the comfort and the things that money can buy? Think about that. Do you hold the belief that you deserve that thing, have to have it? Or do you love seeing the money in your bank account, seeing your asset grow? Ask yourself, how do you see this? And you know, for me, I've gone on a minimalist kick recently. And I'm not going to talk about it today, only to say to really think about that question of whether you love money or you love what money can buy. Answer it for you and answer why too. Such a good question. In any case, to me, there's so many emotions tied to money. And one of the emotions is that of worthiness. And this can be because of our beliefs of whether we have enough. And you see, with this thought, we're likely never to have enough. Because money does not give us worthiness. 
we are already worthy. And so searching for something that is already in us, already in front of us, well, it's not necessary. And our worthiness stems from our thought and not from the number in our bank account. The other thing with this is that the minute we get that number, whatever that number is that we're trying to, you know, we dream of and we're trying to attain, when we get there, we're likely to want another higher number. (laughs) And so if we attach our worthiness, then we're never going to arrive, right? Because we're always going to the next, going to the next, not reaching it. And so simple, we are worthy. We are worthy no matter what the bank account says. One of my hopes is that we identify how we truly feel about this resource and how we can come into more of it safely for us. And I say safely because some of us are very risk adverse. And so money security is very important to us. And it also brings me back to that question of whether we want the money or what money can buy. Money versus things. And the way I like to see it is to see it as money for our necessities and the rest we can try to simplify. For example, I can take this concept a little further by saying we can say if we simplify our foods and eat what we enjoy that is healthy and truly beneficial for us, fresh, simple foods, well, our body will be lighter, healthier, our fridge may be cleaner and less cluttered and our pocketbook lighter too. And in this case, the planning of the food means we waste less food. The eating clean food can mean we spend less money. And so this is a great win because while we are buying something with the money, we are being very mindful with it as well, which enables us to keep more of it in the long run and create less waste for us. You know, we may have the thought that in order to eat healthy foods, we have to spend more money, but that does not need to be the case. In fact, for me, I have found it to be the opposite. I eat out less. I make less trips to the coffee house. I used to go regularly and now I go occasionally. I stay on track with my food and with my pocketbook. So I want to stop a minute here and talk about the value of money. And in this process, I'm going to um, introduce you to two maesters in this area. The first is Tony Robbins. So you, you've, I'm sure you've heard of, of him. And if not, I'm going to talk about him. And the second maester is an unlikely maester in this area. And that is Betty Smith, an author, the author specifically of A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And so I will start with the most interesting to me, both just as valuable but one very interesting because of the overarching messages. And the first one is a character from a book. Specifically, like I said, the book is one of my all-time favorite books, and that is A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. I will not go over the book entire arches, but I will share the areas that hold so much important to me in this topic of assets and wealth. And so the story for this topic starts with the main character being born a baby girl by the name of Francie, and a dialogue between her mom, Katie, and her grandmother, Mary Romilly. Now, for context, Katie's mom is an immigrant from Austria, and the setting is a poor tenement in Brooklyn in the early 1900s. Katie just had this baby, and she's frantic with worry because this baby girl that she had, she realizes that she will have to be the main breadwinner for her family herself, since her husband, Johnny, is not stable. So the dialogue goes something like this. Katie asked her mother, 
I can't teach her anything more than I myself know, and I know so little. This baby will grow up to be poor. We can't be any more than we are this day. Sometimes I think that the year past was the best we will ever know. Her mother interrupted her thoughts. What did we have in the old country? Nothing. We were peasants. We starved. Then Katie responds, if you could expect nothing better, why did you come to America? For the sake of my children, whom I wish to be born in a free land. Your children haven't done so well, mother. Katie smiled bitterly. There is here what is not in the old country. In spite of hard, unfamiliar things, there is here hope. Here belongs to the future. That is not so. Your children have not done better than you. Mary Romilly sighed. That may be my fault. I know not how to teach my daughters because I have nothing behind me except that for hundreds of years my family has worked on the land of some overlord. But you, you went to school. I finished the sixth grade, if that is what's called education. And your Yanni? She could not pronounce the J. Did too. Don't you see? Excitement came into her voice. Already it's starting, the getting better. She picked up the baby and held it high in her arms. This child was born of parents who can read and write. She said simply to me, this is a great wonder. The secret lies in the reading and writing. And throughout this next part, they go on talking some of the details. And then Mary Romilly says, and you must teach the child the legends I told you, as my mother told them to me and her mother to her. You must tell of those not of the earth who live forever in the hearts of people. She goes on and says, oh, and you must not forget the Kris Kringle. The child must believe until she reaches the age of six. Mother, I know there are no ghosts or fairies. I would be teaching the child foolish lies. Mary spoke sharply. You do not know whether there are no ghosts on earth or angels in heaven. I know there's no Santa Claus. Yet you must teach the child that these things are so. Why, when I myself do not believe? Because, explained Mary, simply the child must have a valuable thing which is called imagination. The child must have a secret world. Then, when the world becomes too ugly, the child can reach back and live in her imagination. The child will grow up and find out things for herself. She will know that I lied. She will be disappointed. That is what is called learning the truth. It is a good thing to learn the truth oneself. For first, believe, then not to believe is good too. It fattens the emotions and makes them stretch. In teaching your child, do not forget that suffering is good too. It makes the person rich in character. So I'm going to pause here because, <laughs> oh my goodness, there's so much here. You see, Katie Romilly, to me, was talking about so much she was talking about coming at one's life from a sense of wonder and abundance, a mindset of future wealth, oh, a wealth of existence and a wealth of knowledge and growth. And so I believe this, that deep within us, we want to expand our minds, to expand our financial situations. She was talking of starting from a place, seeing what you have and the wealth of it. She was also talking about the wealth that we receive from our failures, from our disappointments that make us stretch and grow and live. She was talking about our amazing asset, the resource of our person. 
<laughs> oh, dang. I love this book. And I'm going to share the, this one last part. So please stay with me. It's a very important money concept that I believe so strongly in, and that is asset allocation. So I'm going to break it down a little bit after this, this uh, part that I'm going to read. So Mary Romilly says, before you die, you must own a bit of land, maybe with a house on it that your child or children may inherit. Katie laughed. Me? Own land? A house? We're lucky if we can pay our rent. Even so, Mary spoke firmly, yet you must do it. Five cents a day. It seems a little. She goes on to meticulously tell her how to create a tin money can and place it out of sight in a dark closet and put money away in it from your earnings, she says. Each day, put five cents in. In three years, you will have a small fortune. And you see, I recounted these pieces because they illustrate so much of what it means to have money and wealth, not only from a personal gain perspective, but from the perspective of the value of our minds, our education. And I further believe that this education is not specific only to a four-year institution of higher learning, but any place that your mental and mechanical growth can lead you. You see, there's another piece here that is very important, and that is to me that Mary was talking about asset allocation in its most fundamental form, different assets and utilize them. She was talking about cash, about the potential of earning money, and she was talking about savings. She talked about using some of the money to buy a piece of land. So four types of financial assets that Mary discussed, savings, cash, land, and property. And you know, the writer of this book created a story somewhat autobiographical and that is great stuff. Fundamental things about money and really about wealth. So asset allocation, all it really is, is the idea of not putting your eggs all in one basket to be able to diversify. So here is this elderly, illiterate, and amazing woman telling her daughter to put time in the asset of her daughter's mind to earn money and any money she gets to put an amount and aside as a savings so that one day she can buy land, another asset. So good, don't you think? The other maestro I want to talk about is Tony Robbins, the amazing life coach, one of the originals. That's what I call him, an original. He teaches that the key to money is to earn it and not spend more than you earn and to invest a portion of your income or to invest your returns for compounded growth. He also talks about asset allocation. And again, asset allocation is how you divide your investment or money among different types of assets like cash, stocks, etc. And the idea is to align where you put your money and how much to align to your comfort level of risk. And this is great stuff because it is a bit more complex than Mary Romilly's version. He teaches that there are three areas that you can invest in, security, growth, and your dreams. And I love this because the majority of us want what money can buy. And so we spend, we spend on our dreams, our comforts. And the second thing we spend on is growth. We see someone getting large returns on stock or on one investment and we go for it too. Go big or go home. And so while growth is interesting and some may have the fear of missing out, well, 
the reality is that there's no real guarantee here. So the greater the return in this area, there is also the greater potential for loss. This is why it's so important for us to consider what is comfortable and true for us. And then there's the safe, secure way, which is the last uh, portion of how we invest. It's not sexy. And that is in cash savings. So think of a rainy day fund. And the recommendation is a two to six months worth amount. The other is security in your home or insurance. Then there's also the retirement account. And this includes the type of investments that are safe and can pretty much guarantee some rate of return. And you see, all of these to me are investments, but they are safe, secure investments. And I think about the story of Katie asking her mom, but how? And you see, to me, there are three ways. By taking an amount off the top of your earnings and investing. Second, taking extra amounts you have not banked on and investing that. And last, using your mind your own mind as an asset and creating wealth from it. So let's dissect it a bit. Taking a percentage of your earnings and investing it is basically taking it off the top of what you earn, like Mary Romilly suggests. Pretty easy to understand. We can do this to create more wealth by way of compounded interest. Second, taking a large chunk of the full amount of any new gain and investing that. So the amount of a raise or amount from a new job that you're now earning a little bit more or a new business venture where you're again earning a little more money and taking a percentage of that and putting that away. So let me give you an example of this one for me. So years ago, I decided that every raise I received, I would invest in it into my retirement account. So whatever that amount was, it would automatically out of my check to this account. And this can also be done by going from an account straight to the retirement investment. And so my thought is, I'm just gonna let it compound. Money will be as tight as it was, and so no difference. But you see, the difference is in that that nest egg that is growing, out of sight, out of mind, but growing. And how do I know I can afford this? Well, because I was living without the race before I got it. So obviously for me, I could afford it. (laughs) You know, let's go back to this idea of security for a minute. Tony Robbins idea of a safer investment, a secure investment, like a rainy day fund of at least two to six months savings, insurance or home, etc. How many of us look to our security first? How many of us look and really take in what Mary Romilly was talking about? See, she was talking about money and security, but she was also talking about a little bit more. She was also talking about seeing what we currently have and seeing the value in the present of what we have and who we currently are. We can gauge the future, but we can also see our success today, our wealth today. And I get it. We want all the things. And well, (laughs) I can speak for me because I want all the things. But you see, not at any cost. So not at the cost of my integrity, my truth, what is comfortable for me, what is right and fair for my family, for the world around me. And what does that mean? Well, we get into a related thought of is of our tolerance of it, right? For asset risk and asset attainment, some are not interested in owning a home or some are not interested in the stock market, let alone a more aggressive type of stock. 
So this concept of understanding your level of comfort with risk at the moment is so valuable to ask yourself what you're comfortable doing, where you are comfortable investing. Is it in your mind? Is it in your body? Is it in your pocketbook? Is it in more assets? Is it in a business? Because you see, I think that a large part of us attaining more money and more wealth has more to do with our emotional and mental well-being and our drive to attain it than any of our skills in getting it. To me, it's all about how we can manage our number one asset, and that is ourselves and our interactions with others, our teams. And this leads me to dissect the third way I think we can build wealth, and that is through our ingenuity, our beautiful minds to create it, to bring value into the world and create it. And usually we can create when the purpose or need is true and big. I'll give you my last story for today because <laughs> it's a lot, I know, but it's good stuff. Years ago, I thought, how in the world am I going to come up with the money for college? I knew already that I didn't qualify for any financial aid for my kids. And I thought, how can I come up with 50 grand per year for each? I had two. And the new normal was not four years of college, but five. Oh my goodness. Imagine 50,000 times five times two. So 500,000. How could I do this on a government job salary? Well, the beautiful mind went to work and I had some knowledge of real estate from when I was really young based on some advice my dad had given me years ago. So I went to work, studied and negotiated, became my own real estate agent, and I made some very sound decisions, all for the love of having my kids have a better life, more opportunities with the ability to contribute to their worlds in a greater way. I had a very strong why. And my mind opened many doors and I invested and my husband and I worked hard and smartly to make it happen. And that work created more earnings and the real estate values grew over time. And that led me to be able to pay for my children's education. So you see, I found a way. When my why was strong and my mind was clear, I found a way. And so can you. Money in the end is neutral. It is how we see money that creates our relationship with it. It is how it creates our relationship with others. I want us to use our money mindset in abundance and kindness, not to fight, not to blame, not to despair. Our money mindset can be a very valuable tool for our project weight loss in that it can create less of a stressor for us and give us confidence in all we do, including how we handle our food. So to me, our minds and hearts are our biggest assets. And if we live in what is authentic to us, we can create so much wealth. We can create a money mindset that will hook us up <laughs> to live our best lives. Money is just one tool of the many we have. And so I want to leave you with a simple quote by one of the richest men in the world, Warren Buffett. The more you learn, the more you earn. Have a beautiful, plentiful week, everyone. Hey, thanks for listening. If you're ready to achieve your weight loss goal and grow into your most authentic and amazing self along the way, check out our website at projectweightloss.org. See you there.